We here at Fellowship Bentonville have been so encouraged to see the ways that God has been working over the last year. One of the most effective ways we've seen to get information to you is through the use of QR codes. We have people sign up for community groups, get involved in serving, lots of different ways. Yeah, and honestly, we're about to see more because we feel like we've been given a new vision here. And with new vision comes a new brand. And honestly, the, the name Fellowship Bentonville no longer fully captures who we are and where we're headed. So starting today, will be known as QR Bible Church of Bentonville. Part of our new vision is that we believe our name should be nowhere, but QR codes everywhere. And times are changing, so we're changing the way that you experience church. And no longer will you have to interact with real people or talk to humans, but your whole church experience will be accessible through these nifty little codes. Mm -hmm. Each door on our campus will be equipped with a QR code. That can open a door for you. Don't know where you're going? Hey, no worries. We'll have clearly marked QR codes that you can scan to find out what's down each hallway. With so many germs in bathrooms, we're using QR codes to get water out of the sink automatically without having to make contact. How come no one's invented that? I don't know. When you enter though, you're gonna see that all volunteers have been equipped with special badges that no longer include useless information like names. Instead, they'll get a QR code that you can scan and link directly to their Facebook profile to see all of their old pictures and their political views. Hey, and if real people aren't your thing, no worries. We'll have special entrances designated with QR greeters that you can scan and link to a real video of a real life person saying, hello. One of our most innovative features is our new community group sign-up. See, when you scan this QR code, it'll bring up another QR code on your phone. You'll need someone else's phone to scan that one, and so on and so forth. Continue this process 10 to 12 times, and then look up, and bam, you've got a community group. In times of trouble, we found that the most efficient way to access help is through the use of a QR. For example, if there's a fire, We've equipped all of our fire extinguishers on campus with QR access. Somebody get me a phone! As we continue to grow and evolve, we'll be rolling out some things that are still a work in progress. For example, during our worship services, the music may be a bit too loud for you. So what we've done is given you access to volume control for the entire room. If the music's too loud, scan it to bring it down more softly, or scan it to bring it up, or scan it to bring it down, or scan it to make it louder. Also, due to our shortage of early childhood leaders, we're testing out how effective QR codes are at watching children. And perhaps our most beneficial innovation yet, a fast pass to get you out of the parking lot. Hey, and if y'all have any questions, we encourage you right now to pull out your phone and scan this QR code. It'll take you to our online Rolodex of QR codes to meet all of your QR needs. And we'll see you next week at QR Bible Church of Bentonville, where your church experience is just a scan away. You ever, ever have an idea you don't know if you should share with other people? So.
Uh, it actually went over a lot better than I thought it would. What did the QR scan? Nothing. Okay, perfect. So six months ago, this idea came through, and we were told we're going to be putting QR codes on the back of every other chair in here. And our team was like, oh, my goodness, please no. But it was going to happen, so we said, well, we've at least got to make fun of ourselves. So we made this video. Next week, they canceled that idea. So <laughs> we've had this video and have waited six months for the right opportunity to show up, and uh, weirdly, it never came along. So... We thought today's the morning uh, that we are going to show it, and uh, it's really pointless, except for the fact to remind you we're not heading in this direction. We do value real people and real interactions, so stand up, introduce yourself to someone, and tell them how that video changed your life. Good morning. As you are standing, can y'all scooch to the middle while you are still standing? Please scooch to the middle. People still coming in during service, practice your scooch. Practice the scooch. Good job, Jennifer. It's a good scooch. Good job. Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship. My name's Abel. This is my teammate, Angie. We're glad to be together with y'all today. Well, we already had a great uh, video that you were not expecting, um, and uh, another thing that you probably are not walking into church going, you know what, I hope they talk about traffic flow today, but we are. Um, in, in July, we did a little experiment, um, and we let everyone just free-for-all, just go out of the parking lot, and uh, some of you loved it. Some of you hated it. Some of you had no idea we were doing an experiment. But we did, and it did not work as well as our normal traffic flow. So we're going back to the original plan, the OG, uh, everybody in this way, everybody out behind the building, and uh, thank you all. You'll be disappointed if you try to go out this way uh, this morning. So we'll have, yeah, we'll have people turning you around. So we're all going out this way. Again, it's a little bit faster than the other way. Um, now, Angie and I are on the community team, and we uh, look for ways to help people belong, grow, serve, and multiply. And today uh, is a great time during the fall to talk about belong. Angie, what are, in your opinion, the two best ways for people to connect at Fellowship? She said serving on Sunday morning and a small group. And I completely agree. Uh, she, she turned it on. Uh, 
You know what? I, I believe that as well, Angie. It must be true. So uh, Hunter's going to talk a little bit about serving at the end of the service, but um, being a part of a small group, we want everybody at Fellowship to join and be a part of community, and we do that by, by small groups. Um, our number one recommended way to join, uh, if you've not been a part of a small group, is go through Discover. Discover Fellowship is an eight-week large group, small group experience where most of those, com- most of those small groups launch into long-term community groups. And so we invite you to jump into Discover. You can uh, hit fellowshipbenville.org or talk to somebody after the service. Well, Angie, tell us a little bit about what's going on tonight. All right. I would love to do that. Can you hear me? Excellent. So first we need to acknowledge what is today. The first week that most of our kids are going back to school. And so we're going to have our back to school prayer night. And historically, we have scattered around Bentonville and prayed at individual schools, which was really sweet. But we did recognize that some families were the only people at that school. And some schools had it looked like this at, at the prayer gathering. And so our elementary team thought it might be a good experiment to l- gather together. And so we invite you to join us at Orchards Park tonight, 6 p.m., for prayer. So whether you are, um, have chosen public school, homeschool, private school, even those of us who don't have kids going off to school, Let's come together at Orchards and just put this next school year into the Lord's hands. And in that spirit, let's pray. Would you join me in praying for this next hour? And let's just put this service into the Lord's hands. Oh, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are in this place. Loving Father, we trust you. And we invite you to draw our hearts towards you. We are thankful for the opportunity to worship together. So we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Mercy, what heart could fathom 
uh, I'm Becky Stewart, and we've been part of Fellowship for, for uh, trying to do the math here, been part of Fellowship for about 36, 37 years. My family moved up here from Mississippi, and I was reared in a uh, godly home, and my parents took us to church every time it was open, and uh, came to know Jesus when I was a child, and continued to try to learn more about Him and be more like Him every day, all these years. And uh, uh, struggle with that sometimes, uh, with the uh, task set before us and the high calling, as the scripture tells us. But uh, I've seen a lot of growth. I've seen some dry seasons, I've seen some hard seasons, and some really good seasons. And He's faithful. When we moved up here, I was expecting our second daughter. Uh, it was a total career change for uh, my late husband, Steve, and uh, we didn't know a soul in Bentonville, but th that wasn't that big a deal back then because Bentonville wasn't very big, so we uh, uh, plugged in. We, uh, we really embraced, though, the New Testament model of gathering to celebrate and learn and, um, and uh, the discipleship that goes into that, and then breaking literally breaking bread together and uh, uh, being in one another's homes through the week. And I'm an extrovert. I'm energized by that. But uh, even people who are not need community. We were built for community. And there's so many one another's in the scripture that love one another and uh, encourage one another and help one another and serve one another. Um, Another one we don't talk about very much, but the responsibility we have to hold one another accountable. And I saw all of that in our very first community group and then just grown from that over the years. Uh, still in one community group with some of the people I was in my very first community group with. Uh, it has changed a lot over those years. But I have such FOMO, I'm actually in four groups um, because um, they meet different different needs. I have one that's very homogeneous, it's older widows. And then I have one that's, I'm the token boomer uh, geezer in it. It's all these young professionals, a lot of internationals. Uh, and then the longtime group that I've been in, and the Tuesday morning women's ministry group. And they hit me at different points of what I need. I love being in the multi-generational groups. Uh, seeing these young moms and uh, helps me relate to my daughters better. But I also love being in these groups of people who have experienced the same things I have. This, um, this widow's group, uh, it's just different when you feel so totally heard by somebody who's walked the same road. So uh, there's a community group for everybody, uh, even all of us who are a little, little different needs in different seasons. We need each other and God created that need in us and I think he honors that through cell groups, all our small groups that are going on and in the bigger sense of community. That word gets thrown around a lot but uh, it says we're together. I could watch that one five more times. <clears throat> Becky Stewart, if you're in here, thank you for sharing your life with us. There's something about a seasoned follower of Jesus whose passion is still increasing and on the rise. And 
And I love that, you know, she finds that life with people who know her, right? People who've been through some of the same things that she's walked through, but also she loves getting into a room where with people who the only thing they have in common is that they follow Jesus. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, As much as that video is an encouragement to our whole mission and vision uh, here at Fellowship of how we do cell and celebration in our small group ministry, and it is that, it's also a, a very tangible introduction into this this topic or this theme that we're going to be in for the next four weeks called Give Your Life Away. <clears throat> We've got Philippians coming uh, in September, but we wanted to pause and uh, take four weeks kind of in this August transition season and talk about what it looks like to live for something greater than ourselves, uh, what it looks like to live generously. Um, and so uh, we're talking generosity. How would you describe that? Uh, th- here's a definition, giving more of something that is necessary were expected. And I know many of you just heard generosity. You're like, okay, here we go, right? Capital campaign, we're talking about finances. That is one of the four topics that we'll cover. Uh, This is a way of life series, Uh, a chance to pause and say, is there something bigger than just me and my desires and my wants happening, and how can I find uh, God's purpose in that? So two main reasons that we're really talking about this. Number one is that generosity is rooted in the nature and character of God himself. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The reason that God calls his people to a life of graciousness and generosity is because he is generous and gracious. I think of John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son. Or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. At his core, God is a giving God. So that alone is enough reason to study this. But also, I think it's important to note that this concept of living for something outside of ourselves is counter to our humanity. Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's helping them reframe or or shift their view on how they will find life. And he says, if you seek to live for yourself, to save your own life, to preserve yourself, that will result in a loss. But if you deny yourself for something greater, to follow me, he says, that's where you're actually going to find Life. And I get that this statement, this, this, this statement by Jesus is rooted in salvation, but it's also daily and practically lived. But the idea of giving our lives away is specifically counter to our American culture. I went through like six different surveys and studies this week just looking at American cultural values. And Each person had kind of a different take on it, but there were two things that carried consistently in every single one of them, and it was our value of individualism and freedom. Mark Sayers is an Australian pastor who's made some observations on this, and he says that uh, all people of all time uh, in any part of the world have three buckets that we as humans need filled in order to experience a full life. We need meaning. We need purpose. We need something that we're living for. We also need people. We need community. We don't want to do that alone. We want people around us living life. But those two things aren't enough. We actually do need freedom. We need the ability to make our own decisions. 
and not be overtaken by certain constraints. Now, I've shared this before, but here in America, this isn't hard to figure out. We blow one of these up, sometimes to the detriment of the other two, and it is freedom, right? The American way is to view every single person as a self-sufficient person, not a representative of a family or a people group or anything like that, which is very different than in biblical times or even in other parts of the world. And there are positive aspects to this. An independent, non-conformist spirit can be an asset to following Jesus. And we see that play out all the way, you know, through the early church, but even in the times of Israel, where there are times that we have to stand even alone against oppressive voices and systems. But a proper theological understanding of individualism is that we, you, me, each of us, are created in the image of God. That's what we studied earlier this year. That's where we find our worth, but we live that out in the context of others, with our eyes up, seeing what God is doing in and around us. Self-centered individualism leads directly to dissension, isolation, depression, and comparison. I think Elsa is probably the greatest example of that uh, when she says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Some of you are really struggling not to sing right now, right? Let it go. <laughs> not trying to judge the hearts of people here, okay? But I don't think Elsa knew Jesus if she was a human because there is something about following Jesus that is at least a bit counter to this, if not in complete opposition to this concept. Because when we study the life of Jesus, we see a different call for our lives, that we are vessels, we are a pass-through of the life that God brings in order to show that and live that with other people. You might say we're blessed to be a blessing or blessed to bless others. We see in Scripture that we are abounding in order to be generous. And some of this is going to feel a bit uh, like we have to change the way we think and live as we start to keep our eyes outward. And that may be a little difficult because of the way in which we live and the ways that uh, we're being discipled by other people around us. But the vision for all of this isn't just rooted in Scripture. The vision for living a life that we give away to others is rooted in the very character and nature of God himself. Losing your life, giving your life away, looking to the needs of others, that is the way of Jesus. And that's why we're here and why we want to study this. So we're going to hit four different areas uh, for the sake of time. I'm just going to jump right into mine, which is time. If you ever tried to define that word or that concept, here's a go at it. Time is the indefinite sequence of existence and events that occurs in an irreversible succession from the past through the present into the future. So a couple things. Indefinite doesn't mean unending. It means unknown ending. We don't know when time will end. And irreversible succession means that we can't stop it, we can't slow it down, and once it happens, we can't change it. So put that into perspective. At any moment, this moment, the past has already happened, the future is not here yet. The only moment that we ever have to live in is the present, meaning we can never honor God with what we will do tomorrow but only that which we choose to do today in this moment. You might 
call time the most treasured resource or the most endangered resource that we have. You can't uh, accumulate it like money. You can't stockpile it and save it for later like goods and materials. We are all forced to spend it every single day and all at the same fixed rate of 60 seconds per minute. It's a weird concept, even talking about stewarding it because it's not a thing that exists. It's something that we exist in, and it feels very ominous sometimes that time cannot be undone. Maybe in multiverses and time travel and things that we try to create, but in reality, it's much simpler and it's limited. We don't know when it will end except that it will end. Time might be the biggest enemy of us planning a service on Sunday mornings. We have about 65 minutes on paper. We usually go over that. And we want every minute to be used for impact. And we know the traffic issues. We know how long it takes to check in kids. And so we have to decide, how are we going to use the first five to 10 minutes when half of the people aren't in here? This morning, we chose to show a Hollywood quality video. And... If you got in late, I am sorry for you. Uh, You need to go watch the live stream because you missed a salvation opportunity. But don't turn around, but when, and I know that means you're gonna turn around, when I teach, there's a clock staring me down, counting down the time I have left, and I never obey it. I always see it and I ignore it. And y'all are like, yeah, we know, you need to obey it. I can't give you more time. I can't give myself more time. I wish I could. I once heard someone say that, a lot of the theological things about God that we struggle to understand come down to our inability to understand how he works within time. That we are constrained by time in this succession, but that he is not. Think about it. Uh, predestination or free will or God's sovereignty, answered prayers. He wants us to pray, but he already knows what's gonna happen. And so much of us being in this linear movement of events and moments makes it difficult for our brains to comprehend who God is and the way he works. Here in the U.S., we use time as a commodity. I've already said that, a resource. Time is money, right? We, we start to weigh how we use it, and is this task worth my time, or is it worth me paying someone to do it? Uh, we value well-organized people who have task lists and can fit a ton of things into time, and not every part of the world shares our perspective on this. To many foreigners, I bet if they come here, we look like robots, so tied to our phones and to our schedules. If you've ever been abroad, you've probably experienced this tension where you show up somewhere where everyone said they were going to be there at three, and they're not there till seven. You're like, do they not respect time? And we just see it very differently. But what does Jesus say about this? Scripture gives us a lot about time, how fleeting it is. But really, what I wanna do is look briefly at a passage that we don't normally associate with time. But the reason is, is because this is a passage on purpose. And to understand how to use time, we have to understand our purpose. So it's Matthew chapter five, the beginning of what we would call Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the purpose of their lives. He knows that his time is limited. He's said multiple times already that my hour has not yet come. He knows that his time is ticking. He knows that their time is limited, and he addresses them with very intentional vision for their lives. Now, before we read through it quickly, I want to talk about the two analogies that Jesus calls out here, salt and light. So let's go back to first century to understand why he would pick 
these two. We've got to remember, electricity is not a thing at this point. And so there's no refrigerators, there's no light switches and light bulbs, anything like that. So these things had a much larger value in daily use than they do today. Two main purposes for salt in that day, flavoring and preservation. Flavoring, we understand, right? In the right quantity, salt makes food taste better. It enhances flavor. By itself, it kind of tastes terrible. But when it's added to something, it makes the other thing more enjoyable. It's outward focused. Salt was also used heavily to preserve foods. So when salt is added to food, it takes away some of that excess water that is in foods. And that excess water is where bacteria and pathogens can grow and actually cause food to spoil. So when you put salt on something, it helps prolong the life or slow down that spoiling process. You can trace salt all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, Alex and I have been in a study of Leviticus, and even in Leviticus 2 this last week, I was reading, and it's right there in the grain offering. There's major use of salt. Light, too, has deep roots in Scripture. The second verse of the Bible addresses darkness. The third verse, light, spoken from the words of God. And because there's no electricity or light bulbs, lamps were vital and had to be strategically placed in order to provide the most light possible for a specific room in a dark place. They had to be cared for and maintained, and their very presence provided the ability for others around them to thrive. So with that in context, how outward-facing these two are, it makes the words of Jesus mean just a little bit more as we read it. And what we see in this idea of salt and light is that as he's talking to his disciples, he's reminding them, Your purpose, our purpose, is bigger than ourselves. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the whole world. So let your light shine before others, that they may see you, that their eyes would be pointed back to give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Salt and light don't have much purpose for themselves. They're useful for the good of others around them. Alex and I took a weekend to get away last weekend Uh, to pray and plan for the coming year of our life and our marriage. That's the spiritual way of describing what we did. We also just wanted to get away from three screaming children for two nights. And one of the questions that she asked me on the way there was she said, hey, I want to talk about this this weekend. What do you think God has specifically designed you for on this earth? Not what's the purpose of humanity. What's your purpose? And so she asked me and I asked her, like most things in marriage, our answers drastically different. I said, I think God has designed me to catalyze ministry and vision and to connect people. And Alex said that God has designed her to be a safe place for people to land when they're hurting and just need someone to love them and provide a space to be heard and known. So which of us has found what salt and light looks like? Both of us. Because it can look very differently in very different ways humans, right? There's, there's no right or wrong in that sense, but there is a commonality. Part of following Jesus and being a light and salt in this world is believing that we exist for the benefit of others as a pipeline or channel to flow God's blessings through. Our purpose is bigger than ourselves. But we also see that presence alone is not what God has called us to because we can be present and still be ineffective. You are the salt of the earth, but if, a salt, if salt has lost its taste or if a lamp is put under a basket, 
it's hidden, then it's not doing what it was meant to be doing. I'm not a chemist, but from what I understand, salt does not naturally break down really on its own over time. It can, it can stay there for a while, which is why some of your salt shakers have been there for like 20 years, and it's still the same stuff in it. But what happens is over time, impurities can come in and it changes the dynamic and the makeup of the salt mixture, right? Particles get mixed in and its ability to be fully effective is not there anymore. So now it tastes weird or it doesn't provide the preservation that it's supposed to. So what they would do is they would actually take salt and its new use after it had lost its effectiveness would be to be thrown on paths to kill weeds and to create a compact place for people to walk. So its new use literally became to be trampled on. Think about light. It does not matter how brightly a light is shining. If it is put under a basket, if it is covered up, it is not going to be effective. It has to be strategically placed without barriers in order to affect things around it. And an implied principle of lights here is that over time, what's going to happen to that lamp? It will run out. Think of any light, right? Candle, filament bulbs, even LEDs. We're learning to prolong them, but they are finite things. And so there are different ways as followers of Jesus to lose effectiveness over time by impurity, by hiding, or simply by running out of time. And you're probably sitting here going, what does this have to do with time? This is salt and light. This is looking outwards. Everything. Because the only way to utilize time well is to have a proper vision of why am I even here? What is my purpose on this earth? I realize when we say stewarding your time and talk about time being finite, that we have this reaction, or at least I do, of like, man, I gotta get at it. Time's a ticking. I've gotta utilize it as best as I can. I've gotta fill it with good things. And when we take on that attitude, you and I will naturally always feel behind. You're single and you feel behind because you're not married. You're living in an apartment, you feel behind because you don't own a home with these interest rates, with this housing market, how am I ever gonna do that, right? Or maybe you own a home, but you don't own a rent house. Or maybe you do have a rent house, but you don't own 10 rent houses like everybody else. Or maybe you haven't been to Europe yet and everyone on Instagram has and they're flying first class, what have I done with my life? And it's just this constant comparison that when our standard is others, it actually makes us discontent with the time and place that Jesus has us in, us in. Mark Schatzman reminds me consistently, Hunter, you can do it all. You're a high capacity guy. You can do it all, just not right now. Every season has an assignment. Find your assignment and be present in that moment wherever God has you. And so I'm learning more and more that stewarding time is less of a life a work-life balance, less about healthy percentages of my time being spent on secular things or spiritual things, and it's about learning to walk moment by moment in the Spirit so that all things I do are spiritual, so that no one who follows Jesus ever works a secular job because the Spirit is always working in and through you. It makes 1 Corinthians 10, 31 just come to life that whatever we do, whether it's eating or drinking, it doesn't matter, do it all for the glory of God. Every moment can be a moment unto the Lord. Every moment. You may think, well, Hunter, you're a pastor. What do pastors even do with their days? Like, you've got all this time in your life 
to do this. Uh, I am not immune. On top of a typical 40 to 50 hour work week, um, Alex and I are leading a community group. Uh, leading, she's leading cell groups on Wednesday nights, uh, hosting leaders at our house for training, trying to Sabbath once a week. We've got soccer a couple of nights a week for two different kids. And so by default, this fall, six of our seven nights a week are allocated for the next like three months. I don't like that. Just to be honest, in fact, Rochelle last week walked us through a practice of being honest with God. So I spent some time being honest with the Lord, and I told him in a moment, hey, God, I am not a fan of time, the concept that you created. I don't like it. It just, it's sad. It goes quickly. Google Photos reminds me of it all the time, and I just sit and cry alone. I don't love how fast it goes or how ominous it feels, and there are signs everywhere that it's just ticking. I'm going gray at 34, and not Seth Prim gray where I look like a model, right? It's like I didn't wipe my face after eating a powdered donut is what mine looks like. And there are signs all around us that time is just ticking. Parents, this is a week that you will feel it. Every week when we drop kids off in the early childhood area, even if you're not parents, you may have seen this. There's these reminders on the left side, these jars that show you how many weeks you have left in the home with your kids. I sat with a coworker today who just became an empty nester this week, dropped their daughter off at college. And it's just all hitting. In fact, I use the, uh, Alex and I use the Parent Q app, uh, which our uh, children's ministry recommends. And here's my homepage. I have to put funny pictures of my kids up so that I'll laugh when I cry because it just reminds me every single week that's how many weeks I have left with them. It hits me hard. But you know what it does? It changes the way I see my time. It changes the way I see moments, the way I see my phone, the way I see hobbies, projects, whatever it is. But you may ask, where is the joy in time passing so quickly? Without the hope of eternity, I don't know, to be honest. And it's that anchor of what Christ has accomplished and the hope of a promised unending eternity that breathes life into these moments today. We make the most of our time, not by filling it with more things, but by being present with the Spirit of God in moments to live in a way that brings Him glory. We are a pass-through, a vessel, a conduit, not to the neglect of our own souls, but to their benefit and to those around us. By the way, this idea of living our perspective as salt and life and, and light and giving our lives away is not in contrast to what we just studied all summer with spiritual rhythms. Maybe feeling that like we were just told to Sabbath and rest and disconnect and say no. Now you're like, just go give your life away. They go together because the only healthy giving away of ourselves will overflow out of the grounded walk with Jesus on a daily basis. So I want to give us a couple of takeaways um, because we don't drift into healthy time uh, any more than we drift into healthy marriage or healthy finances or anything like that. And this is less, I'm trying to think about this as less of stewarding my time and stewarding my life within time. So four things, hopefully one of these hits with you. Prayer, write a short, simple prayer that's specific to you that you can just pray every moment. Here's mine, or every morning. God, make me aware of where you're working. Just help me to get my eyes up today. Wherever I go, will you make me aware of what you're already doing? 
Rick Warren is uh, one of the first people that I heard uh, give this idea of devoting daily, withdrawing weekly, and abandoning annually. But it makes sense with everything we've studied. Spend time daily with the Lord. Learn to Sabbath weekly, and then at least once a year, disconnect to realign what your purpose is in life. Mark moments of God's faithfulness to remember how he's been faithful in time. We call those memorial stones. Our community group is multiplying tonight. There's a lot of sadness around it. We've been together for a year. And so our final evening this evening is to share these. Everybody's bringing something to share about God's faithfulness over the last year. So if you forgot, here's your reminder. You got four hours to figure it out. But then resources. I love this book. It's called Every Moment Holy. It's a book of prayers and liturgies for everyday moments that we can just pause and read to remind ourselves that God is present in the moment. Things like changing diapers, sunsets, stargazing, starting a job, the marking of a birthday, the morning of a yard sale or a medical procedure. There's one for people who experience road rage. It starts with this. First line, in my, if my heart were more content in you, O Lord, I would be less inclined to rage at others. Some of you are like, I could use that 45 minutes ago. It would have been great. I told Alex, I need a liturgy for cranking a weed eater because that's the most unholy moment of my day. It's like, (laughs) Lord, speak truth into me in this moment. But the author reminds us in this book that there are no unsacred moments, only sacred moments and moments that we've forgotten are sacred. Every moment can be a moment unto the Lord. And we can only give out of what we have. And that is why the gift of God in the person of Jesus is so large because it overflows out of who he is and his generosity. And here's the truth. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changed every moment for all time. Eternity past, eternity future, and even this moment right now. And to do that, it took a life of generosity and a death of generosity from Jesus. He, of all people, deserved to be served, but even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it is mind-boggling for me to think that Jesus would step into this, not just human form, not just earth, which I'll get, he stepped into time, meaning when he breathes his first, right, in a stable with his teenage mother and all these animals, from that moment, his clock is ticking towards his death. And it's only with that in view of God's generosity that we will ever find the purpose, the high calling that we are called to, to follow him and steward the life that he's given us while we're on this earth. Stewarding those moments to know him deeply and to make him known. To end our time, I wanna invite two of my friends up, Tori Tut and Andrew Ogden. I was thinking about how to end this and thought, man, it'd be good to hear from other people, not just me. And these are two people that I respect so much and have gotten to do a lot of life with. Tori and I worked together as co-workers for seven years, best seven years of your life, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I got to see her walk through so many different seasons, coming in uh, as a single in full-time ministry, then marrying one of my good friends, still being in full-time ministry, now a mom, small business owner, so lots of change. Uh, Andrew is just up here because I heard someone say that if you have a British accent, you're immediately the smartest person in the room. So is, is that true? <laughs> well, uh, let me check who's here. Um, <laughs> my wife's on the front row, so that yeah, was a, yeah. that was really short. Second smartest. She's got a British accent. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, but <laughs> these are... 
two people who are up here not because they do this perfectly. Um, they're in the thick of life, but I've watched them and learned from them in so many ways uh, on how they keep their eyes on Jesus. So ask them to just come share what is the Lord teaching you uh, right now in concept of, of time and stewardship. Um, if you guys know Hunter and I's relationship at all, he likes to pick on me, and I uh, learned for service that I, I kind of was putting the dots together, and I'm like, of course, he knew I was nervous to come up here, and so he's going to stick me up here with the smartest person in the room, That's so. Good. That's good. Okay. Classic. Just, so I'm actually, now. I'm going to pass the ball to Andrew yeah. and let him share, <laughs> and then if we have time, I might throw in a couple things. <laughs> I don't want to say anything right now. <laughs> You know, my mum sometimes watches this service on YouTube, so I can just picture her wiping the tears of laughter from her face at that suggestion. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit about um, prioritizing um, and life priorities. Um, and there are, there are seasons where my wife Jane and I, um, in fact, she loves nothing better than a deep and meaningful planning meeting with a spreadsheet and a list. It's, no, it's not her love language. Um, but it's important to us that we talk about life's priorities um, and prayerfully consider those at different stages of life. And uh, for us right now, um, I can list those for you, and it might be different for you, but for us right now, it's our relationship with God comes first. Uh, our spouse, our husband, our wife is second. Then our children comes third. Then friends and family, and then work. Um, and we like to look at how we prioritize our time through that lens and through that list. And when things are going really well um, and we're considering those priorities in our lives, um, all of those things just seem to work. So when you, know, when you follow the first commandment and put God first, then that has a good impact on your marriage. And when you put your marriage second, that has a good impact on how you parent your children and then with your friends and family. And then lastly, if all those four things are good, then works good too, and you can, um, you can really focus on that and, and do that well. So um, that's been a really helpful model for us um, just to assess kind of how we prioritize our time. But it's not about quantity of time because, of course, number five is where a lot of us spend the most of our time uh, is in the workplace. So it's not about quantity. It's about how you prioritize. And Sora, you've been through many seasons in a short space of time. Do you want to share a bit about what that means for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, when Hunter asked me to come up and share, I was like, I'm 30 years old. I don't know if I can share to this large group of people. I'm sure there are people that know how to manage their time a lot better than I do and are doing it better. Um, but I just wanted to share a little bit about what the Lord's been teaching me in the last few years, teaching Carter and I. And, you know, I was kind of reminiscing back on the last three years and, um, Coming and working for FSM and being single in ministry, I remember thinking like, man, I have so much time to do all of these things. And it almost felt like there were too many things that I wanted to do and I didn't have enough time to do them. But I was getting to disciple college girls and drive to Fayetteville and sit across from them and have coffee and talk about Jesus for three hours. And I could wake up early and go to bed late. And I felt like I had all this time. And um, then I got married when I met my husband and I was like, oh, time's not really going to change. It's fine. 
not the case at all. Um, did not gain more time. I actually was more divided. Um, and so the Lord was teaching me something through that season. And um, then we were pregnant with our son and I was started dreaming with Carter about what it looked like to step off of staff, um, doing full-time ministry and become a stay-at-home mom. And I'm like, man, stay-at-home mom, I'm gonna have so much free time like to do all the things. <laughs> And you laugh because you know that's not true. I quickly realized I did not gain more time. And in each of those seasons, I found myself um, more having more divided time um, and more things needing my attention. And um, I just, I, I was talking to Carter about all of this and we just started praying through um, Psalm 90. And that's kind of been a theme verse for us of, in this season of motherhood and trying to figure out what it looks like because I'm learning there's not really more time that we get. It's just different seasons and all seasons are good. And within each of those seasons, desiring to glorify the Lord with every bit of time that he has given us. And so Psalm 90 has been a prayer of ours of teach me, Lord, to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And If you're asking the Lord to teach you something, you have to be willing to learn something. And so it's been a learning curve for Carter and I to learn what it looks like to steward the time that God has given us in the season that we're in, even though it looks drastically different than how it has every single year of the last three years. And so. Yeah, that's awesome, Tori. And, um, you know, knowing what to say yes and no to, and that you talked about asking God for wisdom and discernment, um, is uh, is really important to then be a good steward of that time. Um, I also like just really practically um, a couple of things on my mind. Um, one is in uh, relationship uh, and uh, the friends and family I mentioned that we, we build around us, but just being really intentional about uh, who those people are. So uh, we have conversations about, so who are those people that we want to uh, invest time in, spend more time with, learn from, and, and share our lives with? Um, and, and that's really important. And then the, the second one is about um, how do you combine some of your activities so that you can really uh, invest in those relationships? Um, so just on Friday night, we were at the high school. I think a lot of you were as well as parents. Um, and you sit there for three hours in the stands to watch your kid for two minutes, right? And um, it, it feel, felt like a great time to just sit with other people and invest in those relationships and connect with others um, whilst you're waiting for that to happen. So sharing part of your lives and also investing in friendships at the same time is a really good way of doing that. The other way is just meals. Like You've got to eat, so um, why not eat with somebody else and, and share that time together? Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think just thinking through um, you and Jane and being able to go to those activities with your family. I think Carter and I are in a season where we're confined to nap schedules and early bedtimes. And so it looks less like us going places right now and more like inviting people into our home and trying to make a priority of that because how we want to utilize our time is to invest in our community um, because we see that scripturally and our our souls need that time, Um, but it looks different. So it looks less of going and more inviting um, for us in this season. And so... Do y'all have just maybe one thing that you would leave everybody with as we kind of close down? So um, just one thing I was, um, the Lord's been speaking to me about this week um, and then reinforced this morning as we sang that line, um, lead me in your love to those around me 
in the song Build My Life. And um, as you think about those relationships and where you spend time, um, it, we feel challenged and ask ourselves, like, who do we know that doesn't know the Lord? Like, who are we spending time with that doesn't know Jesus? Um, and sometimes that, it, it's different seasons. That can be your own children, and that's, that's your mission field is your own family. And other times that's more outward-looking, as we talked about salt and light. So that's the one thought of within your friendship circles, who doesn't know the Lord, and, and maybe you can reach out to, him, to others. Yeah, that's good. Um, a prayer of mine has been recently just asking the Lord um, to show me more of his presence in the season that I'm in and not so much asking him for more time um, because it's more so been a heart cry of mine to be like, Lord, I know I do not have as much time. It feels like that I used to. And so what would bring you the most glory today? Um, and that's all that I ask and that's all that I want and giving myself grace in that season. And so I think an encouragement in whatever season you're in and whatever capacity that you have, remembering to give yourself grace um, and continue to learn what it looks like to walk with Jesus and be faithful um, because I don't want to miss out on the moments that the Lord has placed before me because I'm fixated on what's next. Um, so I, I think give myself grace. Great reminders. Every moment can be a moment unto the Lord, even this one. Um, and by the way, this is a lot like what community group looks like. Imperfect people taking the scripture, understanding um, how we walk in this world and encouraging each other. And so we want to end with a, with a couple of reminders. One is a thank you. Uh, two weeks ago, Abel Schaefer was preaching and um, he gave us a call to serve, to step in and meet some of the needs for um, kids and other areas uh, on Sunday mornings. And 101 people signed up and said yes. And so we want to say thank you for investing that time. So there is, there are still some needs, but a major, major dent was taken in that. And so we are, we are very grateful. I, as a father, am very grateful that people are stepping in each week so my wife and I can worship. And so thank you for saying yes in that. Tell them about house worship. Yeah. Um, you may have heard of this before, but we've been gathering uh, in people's homes and just worshiping together, um, kind of mid midweek for a couple of hours. Um, we kind of do it once a month, normally that, that kind of cadence. And um, it's open to anybody to come along and join us. You don't have to be a musician or in worship in particular, but um, we get together in a home. We spend time just in the Lord's presence, having fellowship, singing songs, uh, sharing scripture, praying. Um, and, and it's been really uh, beautiful and important um, part of our uh, the, the way that we spend our time and, and focusing on the Lord. So if that's something that sounds good to you, that you want to spend more time in worship of him in that kind of setting, uh, I'll be down here at the front uh, today. You can come see me. Um, if it's a long line and you want to rush to your car, just come grab me at any week and we can get you connected. But we just send an email out and let you know when, when the dates are of those. We'd love to have you. That's awesome. Um, if you would stand with me, I would love for us as a congregation to fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, I'm going to read this prayer over us as a benediction um, and just take a deep breath and take it in. But this is just a charge for the week and a prayer. It's from the Every Moment Holy book that Hunter had mentioned. This is a book that Carter and I um, open daily. Um, there are so many um, different liturgies for moments. And so here's one um, focused on community. And so here's this prayer. Our lives are so small, O Lord. Our vision so limited. Our courage so frail. Our hours so fleeting. 
Therefore, give us grace and guidance for the journey ahead. We are gathered here because we believe that we are called together into a work we cannot yet know the fullness of. Still, we trust the voice of the one who has called us. And so we offer to you, O God, these things, our dreams, our plans, our vision. Shape them as you will. Our moments and our gifts, may they be invested toward bright eternal ends. Let us listen for your voice, our hearts ever open to the quiet beckonings of your spirit in this endeavor. Let us, in true humility and poverty of spirit, remain ever ready to move at the impulse of your love in paths of your design. Amen. Hey, if you want to take a moment to be prayed with or prayed for, uh, we have our prayer team over here, my right, your left. We would love to do that. And for connecting, we've got community groups uh, who will launch over the next couple of weeks. So we'd love to get you connected at the booth in the foyer. We will see you guys next week.